0: Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to wwwaudiblecom college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm Amy Young. I'm the director of college counseling at Avenue's New York and I'm on Getting In's team of experts. I'm guest hosting the show today. Julie Lithcott Hames will be back next week. On this episode, we'll answer more of your questions, including one from a mother who wants to find out why some kids get interviews with the colleges they're applying to and others don't. But before we get started, I wanted to tell you about a podcast from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It's called Campus. And it's a series that we think getting in listeners will really enjoy. Everything changes when you enter college, and the Campus Podcast explores those life-defining moments. Think of it as the next step after getting in. Campus brings you first-person stories of the pressures to succeed, the threat of failure, and the adventures of growing up. Search for Campus on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. So we've got some great listener questions today, and Park Muth is back to help me answer them. Thanks for coming back, Park.
1: Well, Amy, thanks for having me back. I'm looking forward to answering some of these questions.
0: Park worked for nearly 30 years at the University of Virginia in the admission office and as a dean, and now he helps families navigate the college application process. Our first question is from a mother in Portland. Hi, this is Robin Camerling from Portland. I wanted to ask about the interview process. We haven't really talked about that on your podcast, and I want to know why some kids get interviews and other kids don't, even from the same town with relatively similar applications. Is there anybody on your team of professionals that can speak to the interview process? So, Park, uh, what do you think about Robin's question?
1: Well, Robin, it's a great question. I wish I could give you a simple answer, but one of the reasons we haven't talked about interviews is it's a pretty complicated set of questions. Who is the person doing the interview? Is it a person in the admission office? Is it an alumnus? Is it a faculty member? Is it a student volunteer? There are schools that use all of those as interviewers for students. And in some cases, the schools make it fairly clear that the interviews are informational rather than evaluative. So that's one of the things you need to know at the front end. If it's informational, that means you certainly shouldn't worry very much about it because it's an exchange of information. They're gonna ask you some questions, you ask some questions, and both of you leave knowing a little more about the school and a little more about who is applying to the school. On the other hand, there are a number of schools that use evaluative interviews. These are things you should prepare for. They're fairly simple. Why are you interested in our school? What would you like to do when you're here? Now, as far as finding out in the same town, some people get an opportunity to do an interview and some don't. And it's in some ways similar to some people are going to get in and some aren't. You should know that alumni interviews that happen, at least at the very highly selective schools, the vast majority of those students aren't getting in because the vast majority of applicants aren't getting in. It's not like they aren't important at all. It's just there are a lot of other factors that go into the admission process. But some schools do limit the number of students they will interview simply because they get so many applications and they just don't have the staff or the alumni or the students or the faculty to do all the interviews.
0: So it sounds like, as with many things, the answer is that it's very school-specific and complicated on a lot of levels. And I I have the same reaction that a lot of students get very anxious about interviews, both scheduling them and doing them. Ideally, they are going into those interviews trying to present something about themselves and to be relaxed and have a discussion. Um, but I knew students do get, get very, very anxious about that thing. And then there are also schools that will not schedule your interview until your application is submitted. So it's actually not about you scheduling the interview. It's about them reaching out to you. So try not to make this a source of anxiety. There are plenty of sources of anxiety out there, uh, but the interview can also be a real place for students to shine. Do you find that, Park?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there are some students that just have a presence that just comes right across and that can make a significant difference because you see when they're going to be sitting in a classroom and talking, there are just going to be sparks flying and they're going to get discussions going and they just have a a kind of energy that reaches out to everybody that hears them.
0: Our next question is from a college student in Pennsylvania.
1: Hello, my name is Dalton Sharf, and I'm
0: currently a sophomore majoring in computer science at the University of Pittsburgh. I may not be one of your typical listeners since I've actually already been accepted to college, but I'm looking for advice on applying as a transfer student. Throughout high school, I had focused far greater on what I wanted to major in compared to where I wanted to apply. And then when senior year came, I had applied to some highly selective schools, with Pitt being my backup. As you already know, I ended up at my backup school. It's not that I don't like Pitt, but I want to graduate with a degree that I will truly be proud of and that will give me an advantage in the job market someday. So I'm currently in the process of applying to transfer into the computer science program at the University of Texas, which is a competitive major at a semi-selective school. What advice can you give to students like me who are hoping to transfer into a competitive school? Will my chances of getting in be less than someone coming straight out of high school? Park, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, Dalton asked another very good question. And I would want to talk to Dalton a little bit and say, I think some of your thinking, you might take a second look at Pitt. Why? Well, if you are doing very well at Pitt, do you want to essentially stop what you're doing at Pitt and start up at another school? Because when you transfer, it's not just going to a new place. You have to make new friends, get involved with new activities. It is a, it's a bit of a challenge. And in many cases, first-year students form very strong bonds. And there are some transfer students that feel a little bit left out when they transfer. The second thing that I think is important is when he says, I want to graduate with a degree I will truly be proud of. Well, Pitt is a place you should be proud to graduate from. And if you do very well at Pitt, you may well have incredible opportunities as good or better than if you went to Texas and maybe didn't do as well. I mean, I had a student who she was doing incredibly well at a state school and the school loved her. She was in an honors program and she wanted to transfer to one of the top five schools. And I said, your school loves you. They have you in the honors program. They're doing all these things for you. If you get into this other school, it has a name a lot of people know, but do you think you can do as well? She ended up staying at her school, doing incredibly well, and getting exactly the job she wanted to get. And I think Frank Bruni and some other writers who support me on this is, it's not about the name of the school, it's how you do when you get there. So certainly you can consider looking, I'm not absolutely discouraging it, but the reason to say... Pitt isn't a place I'm proud of. It's a great school. There are a lot of good schools. And if you do well, that's more important than the name of the school.
0: So it sounds like this decision should prompt just as much self-reflection and thought as your initial college search. It should again be about finding the right fit and not just chasing after the name.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Our next email is from Kenneth Duckworth, a father in Virginia.
1: I am curious what your experts have to say about guaranteed admissions agreements. Our local community college in Northern Virginia has guaranteed admissions agreements with a number of universities, including William & Mary and the University of Virginia. My daughter has been thinking of going the guaranteed admissions route to get her BA at either William & Mary or UVA. I think that this may be a very good option as a cost savings method, as well as boosting the GPA. However, I also have some concerns. The commitment to a certain program the delay in leaving home and launching fully into adulthood, and the minimum GPA. Uh, My daughter is a B student now in an IB diploma program. Would your experts care to comment on the pluses and minuses of the guaranteed admissions programs that some community colleges now offer in partnership with four-year institutions? Do you view these as valid options to the traditional four-year approach?
0: I'm really glad the question brings up community colleges because that's a significant portion of the colleges and universities in the United States are educating community college students. And I don't think we talk about it enough. So I'm really glad we have an opportunity to talk about that here. Park, what do you think?
1: Well, this is a really good question. I hope a lot of people who are thinking about where they want to go to college will Give a serious look at community colleges. If a student takes the correct courses with a certain GPA, they are guaranteed admission to all the state schools in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And there are a lot of schools. The GPA may vary a bit and the course load may vary a bit from school to school. But this is a great option a number of reasons. One is the cost factor. If you can live at home and you can take at least one year, but to get the guarantee, two years of coursework and then transfer in with no debt and then maybe graduate with virtually no debt, you may be in much better shape than if you're accumulating debt over four years. That can help you when you get out in terms of the kinds of jobs you're going to apply for, the kinds of options you have. If you're in a lot of debt, that makes it harder to do some things that may start out with low pay, but high return in terms of skill sets. The other factor is that community college can be a great transition period. The community college system is there for students who may not have been stars in high school. And there are some students who maybe when they graduated from high school were not that motivated and then they've gone out and worked for a couple years or done the military or a variety of activities and they come back and they're really motivated and they do well at community college and then they come in and they do well when they transfer to a four-year institution. This student sounds like a B student, which is a good student in an IB program. My guess would be this student could maintain grades that are similar to that in a community college. And again, that would open up the doors to a number of the Virginia four-year institutions.
0: So Kenneth also raised a question, a concern about launching fully into adulthood. What would you say to that, Park?
1: Well, there are two ways of looking at this. In one way, a community college is launching people into adulthood in a different way in that, you know, they don't have dorms and they don't have a traditional campus. So you're pretty much figuring out a way to get there, either driving there or taking you know, a bus or a subway or something to get there. You're figuring out your own meals, you're figuring out your own timetables, you're figuring out the activities. They don't have the same set of professionals that are there to guide students, help students through a lot of different things. So in many ways, going off to a college campus is a bubble. I mean, it's not like the real world. You have so many people that are there to help you if you have questions, if you're depressed. Community College has some of that, but not nearly as much. They are much more streamlined and they just don't have the budget to have all the administrative staff. So in in some ways, you're, you're out in the real world a little bit more. Now, living at home, yes, that can change that option, but I'm not sure that living in a first-year dorm necessarily with some other folks is great training for the real world either.
0: Park, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Well, Amy, these were great questions, and I look forward to talking more with you in the next few weeks.
0: Sounds good. And thank you to Robin, Dalton, and Kenneth for your letters. We love hearing from you. Keep sending us your questions and voice memos. Our email address is slate.com. or you can call our hotline and leave a voicemail. That number is 929-999-4353. And that's it for this episode. Catch up on any episodes you've missed at slate.com slash getting in. And please leave us a comment on iTunes. It helps other people discover the show. Getting in is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Production help from Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. I'm Amy Young. Julie Lithcott-Hames will be back next time. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, it's not just about getting in. It's about finding the right fit. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book to try out from Audible is Unfaithful Music in Disappearing Ink, the new memoir from Elvis Costello. It's a musician's view of his unlikely and sometimes comic rise to international success. If you want to listen to Unfaithful Music and in Disappearing Ink or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com college. And use the promo code COLLEGE.